0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, Nehemiah chapter 11 this morning is where we're at, so let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 11 this morning. And uh, I am... Loving our series, and I hate the fact that we are actually almost done uh, with our series in Nehemiah. We've got this message, and then uh, one or two more. I'm planning two, but we'll see if we can, might, might squeeze it into one, but I won't, because it'd probably be like an hour and a half message. And, those don't go over too well, uh, but I, uh, I've enjoyed the series. I've enjoyed just studying the life of Nehemiah, and if this is your first time at the church or first time in a while, then uh, you're, you're jumping in with us right in the middle of a study. The book of Nehemiah, a man who was the king's cupbearer. Uh, he was raised, of course, in Susa or Shushan, the palace, the, the uh, winter palace of the uh, media Persian empire. Of course, at this time, Uh, At this time in history, the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, they didn't have their own nation. As a matter of fact, they've been in captivity for really over about 140 years. They've been in captivity. uh, Of course, we know that the Assyrians overtook uh, the children of Israel and then Babylon and the media Persian empire. And so the children of Israel, they haven't had their own land for a while. As a matter of fact, they really have been living uh, underneath their privileges, if I could say it that way. They were God's people and God had had designed a certain life for them in the promised land. And yet, because of, of disobedience and because they just kind of wanted to do their own thing, God allowed them. He allowed them to, uh, to be overtaken. He allowed them to become enslaved and allowed them to become run over by many enemies. And so as you come to the book of Nehemiah, we need to know that the children of, children of Israel, they've been in captivity for over a hundred years. However, over the last about 20 years or so, maybe 30 years, the new kings of the Pedia, Media Persian Empire—say yeah, that five times fast—the uh, new kings of the Media Persian Empire—they came in and they said, "Hey, we're going to allow you to go back into your land and begin to reestablish some things." And so there was a man by the name of Zerubbabel that he led a group back in and and Ezra would be one that went back in and we have the book of Ezra trying to reestablish people and their relationship with the Lord. But when you come to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah opens by helping us understand that Nehemiah, this young Hebrew boy who was the cupbearer of the king in Shushan, He finds out that his brother Hanani traveled the 850 miles east all the way from Jerusalem to or from west from Susa to Jerusalem and then then back again. And as Hanani would come back, Nehemiah would ask him, hey, what's going on with our our brethren? What's going on with our people in Jerusalem and the city of God? What's happening? And Nehemiah hears from Hanani this burden that, Nehemiah, things aren't good. Things aren't good, Nehemiah. The city is broken down. The, the walls are broken down. The gates are burned. And beyond that, the people, they're suffering affliction. They're being afflicted. They're being persecuted. And as a matter of fact, Nehemiah, they're, they're a reproach to God's name. They, they are not even living up to the, uh, to the name of God. They're, they're not following God. They're, they're spiritually anemic. Nehemiah, things are bad. Well, we followed along as Nehemiah got a burden. He wanted to do something about it, didn't know what to do, so he, he prayed for four and a half months. God, what do you want me to do? God, if you want me to do something, open up the door, show me. And we find that God does open the door and long story short, Nehemiah is able to go back and God doesn't use him in this uh, great way of going in and preaching and doing a big no. God uses him to go in and say, hey, if anything is gonna change, we gotta rebuild the walls. And he gets the people on board telling them, hey, God's opened some doors. Look, the king has sent me. The king has sent me with goods. And the The king has sent me with a commission. And the the king, he has sent me with with letters of permission. and, And the king is backing this all the way. Let's rebuild the walls. And the people, they understood it. And they got up. And in 52 days, 52 days, the walls of Jerusalem were built. Now, you and I reading this story thousands of years later, we could look at that and say, ah, 52 days, I mean, that's a month and a half, almost two months, that's probably not that hard. But we've got to understand, they didn't have any of the equipment that we have now. Man, they were doing this by hand. And if you were here a few weeks ago, I showed you uh, some of the ruins of that wall there in Jerusalem, and what an incredible undertaking. And this was a miraculous thing from God. So in 52 days, they built the wall. But in chapter 7, we saw a transition. You see, chapters one through six is about the building of the wall. Chapters seven through 13 is about the building of the people. You see, because in chapter number seven, Nehemiah began to help the people understand it's never been about the wall. It's been about you and your relationship with God. You see, that's what God is interested in. God is interested in a relationship that is healthy, a relationship that is growing, and a relationship that is completely focused upon him. Well, those people, they, they began to experience revival, and we listened in last week as they made a covenant with the word of God. They said, God, we, we want to follow you so much that we sign our name to your word. We sign our name to your word. Whatever your word directs us to do, God, we want to do that. Well, this morning, we pick up in the story in Nehemiah chapter 11 and chapter number 12. And as we come to the passage here in Nehemiah chapter 11 and chapter number 12, before we read uh, the verses that we're going to uh, look at today and these passages, I'll tell you some good news. The good news is we're covering two chapters. The bad news is it's going to take us until about (laughs) 2.30. So I hope you had a good, healthy breakfast. I'm teasing. Uh, I love this passage before us today, but before we get to it, I want to ask you a question. Uh, And the question is the title of the message today. And that is, will you be contagious? Will you be contagious? Will you help with the spread? It's kind of a play on words, of course, because uh, many of us thought, I don't want COVID. <laughs> I'm not gonna help with the spread. I'm not talking about COVID or any sort of sickness. There are other things other than sickness that can spread. Uh, have you ever noticed how a, uh, a yawn spreads? You've been in a room where, you know, it's like you're feeling fine. And then one person goes. And before you know it, you're like. Oh, I don't know. I don't know why I'm yawning. You ever notice the yawn spreads? Uh, Some other things that spread. Hunger spreads. Really, it does. If you hear someone else's stomach start growling or you hear somebody start talking about how hungry they are, pretty soon you're going, yeah, yeah, I'm, I could eat too. Yeah, I'm hungry. Maybe that's not you, but that's me, and you can tell. I like to eat. Uh, <clears throat> you ever tried to talk to somebody and then you scratch your face and they uh, scratch their face? You ever done that, You? Do that, and they go, yeah, it's something that spreads. Um, maybe if I talk about insects, if I talk right now about that one time that that spider began crawling right down the center of the back of my neck, and the hairs on my neck begin to stand up, and I... Man, it... it it tickled, and it was, if I begin talking about that, pretty soon someone's gonna go. If I begin to really talk about it, my mom's gonna go, okay, stop. There's certain things that just spread. I think about laughter, laughter spreads. On, uh, on Thursday night, we had Pastor Chapel, Paul Chapel here from Lancaster Baptist. At the church in Lancaster Baptist, there is a lady by the name of Mrs. Downey. And uh, she sits on the, of course, it's a large auditorium, but if you're on the platform, Mrs. Downey always sits on, on the, my, the platform's left side and second or third row. And you know what? In every, every uh, uh, online service, in everything that you hear out of Lancaster, you'll hear Mrs. Downey's laugh. You'll hear Mrs. Downey. And she's one of the sweetest, godliest ladies. And every time Mrs. Downey laughs, people just start laughing. I think about my mom and my sister, Every time my mom or my sister start laughing, people start laughing. Usually it's because they're snorting as well, but <laughs> there are certain things that spread. You've been around somebody who has an infectious smile. You know, someone that they just walk in the room and, and really just a few minutes go by and many people around them, they're just, they're just smiling, they're just It's just an infectious smile, an infectious charisma about that person. This morning, as we come to our study in Nehemiah chapter number 11 and 12, I want to ask you, will you be contagious or will you help with the spread? You say, okay, pastor, be contagious or help with the spread of what? Well, I'm glad you asked. So take your Bible if you would and let's stand. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 12 Nehemiah chapter 12 this morning. We're going to read just one verse as we get into our study today. Chapter number 12 and just one verse. The word of God says this. It says, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. Nehemiah twelve forty three, And rejoiced because or for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also. And the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard, even afar off. The joy of Jerusalem was heard, even afar off. Wow. Now, I understand that just really at, at first glance, we could read that and say, okay, what does that mean? When it says right there at the end of the passage or the end of the verse that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off, basically this means that the praises of the people in Jerusalem during this time, a time of dedication that we're going to see, the praises literally echoed throughout all of the valleys around Jerusalem and people all around heard it and people all around wondered, man, something is going on there. Man, what is happening there? What's happening in Jerusalem? And I can imagine people thinking, I want to be a part of that. Man, they're hearing cheers. They're hearing joy sounding afar off. I wonder this morning. I wonder this morning, do people on the outside of your life, do people on the outside of your life, outside looking in, do they see the joy of, of your Christianity? Does the joy of your life ring afar off? Does your joy and your rejoicing in the Lord, does it echo into the hearts of those around you? Does your coworker, your your, your neighbor, your family member, your lifelong friend, does your Christianity, does it echo a joy into their life? See, this morning I'm going to ask you this question of will you be contagious and will you help with the spread of the joy of God? Will you allow God's joy to be like an infectious smile in your life that other people see it and they say, wow, I want what they have? I'm going to talk with you this morning about understanding what it means to live out a contagious Christianity, something that is heard even afar off. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, ask God to speak to you and pray something simple. Dear God, please speak to me. Dear God, please speak to me. And then make the commitment, God, if you speak to me, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you. And I'll respond today. Lord, thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you for how you can use it in our lives. And this morning, Lord, I pray that as we get into your Word, I ask you, God, that you would help us to be challenged by your Word. Help us, Lord, to be convicted. I pray, Father, that you would use it to encourage us, to strengthen us for this week. And Lord, ultimately, that we would leave uh, changed, desiring to grow closer to you, to be more effective for you. Lord, I pray that you'd help if there's someone here this morning that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity. I pray that today you would help them to make the decision to put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. Please bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As you come to Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse number 43, uh, I listen and I read that verse and I think, man, what a testimony. What an incredible testimony, a testimony of people rejoicing, a celebration so impactful that it was heard literally uh, miles away. You ever heard something like that? You ever heard a celebration going on or or something happening and you wanted to be part of it? I think of a number of years ago. uh, Of course, I was raised in in Greeley, Colorado. My dad pastored the church there in Greeley for 15 years. And we moved to Washington, uh, I think, uh, 21 days before my 14th birthday. I was raised there. So I grew up, many of you know it, I grew up a, a Denver Broncos fan. And I still am a Denver Denver Broncos fan. If you don't believe me, go to my office afterwards, you'll see my shrine. And um, I'm a Denver Broncos fan through and through. But all growing up, all growing up, it it just never worked out for me to get to a football game. Never got to go to a Broncos game all growing up. Lived 50 minutes from the stadium, never went to a game, went to plenty of practices, met plenty of the players, but never got to go to a game. I actually didn't get to go to my first Broncos game until I was 32 years old or 31 years old, seven years ago, very first time I got to go to a Broncos game. And on that first time, I was, happened to be in, in Denver for my nephew's wedding. My nephew's wedding, maybe that was six, I don't know how many years believe I get married, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I, uh, I went, to his, went to his wedding, and we were there, and, and I found out that the blims, that Daniel was in town visiting family. And of course, at that time, they were living, um, they were living either in Oklahoma or, uh, or in Missouri. And of course, we stayed in contact, but we didn't get, didn't spend a lot of time together. And, and man, I called him and he called me. I found out you're in Colorado. Man, I am too. Let's connect. So we got together and then we heard that there was a Broncos game that Sunday. And it was at two o'clock. And I was like, you want to try to go to the game? He said, yeah, let's try to go to the game. So we talked to some family friends and had a family friend. He said, hey, I can get you tickets, and I can get them at half the cost. Great. I don't know who you have to kill to do that, but <laughs> have at it, man. I don't know. I don't know what laws you have to break. But no, he went. He had a buddy who had tick season tickets and sold them uh, at his price. And sure enough, we got to go to the Broncos game. We hit some traffic on our way, and we were just a t- we were planning on being early, but because of getting out of church a little bit late and hitting traffic on the way, uh, we, were, we were gonna be late to the game. And I remember we parked, you know, you, whenever you go to a game, you always park at least a mile away because it's cheaper parking. You know, I'm not paying $50. I'm gonna pay $5. And I'm gonna walk through the ghetto and I'm going to almost get mugged to save my $45 that they might steal. But either way. So we parked a mile away and we began walking. And as we were walking towards the stadium, we began to hear the crowd. And at, at that stadium, I don't know what their maximum capacity is, but it was a sold-out game, 55,000, 60,000 fans. And as we began to walk from, from a mile away, we heard the noises of the, of the fans. We heard everyone cheer. And of course, you could hear the speakers a little bit, but even over the, the sound system, over the sound system, I heard the cheers of people. And we heard the one side cheering, Denver, one side, Broncos, Denver, Broncos. And they're just cheering. And it was echoing through the neighborhoods. And a mile away, it felt like I was right there. You know what I said? Hey, let's go. We got to go. move faster, man. Let's get there faster. Come on, let's <laughs> the, come on, let's go. He hadn't been to a game for years. I had never been to a game. And we booked it. as. I mean, we walked as fast as we could all the while hearing. You know what I thought in my mind? I don't want to miss what's taking place there. And I, I want, it sounds so fun, man, this is going to be so exciting. I don't want to miss a second of it. When you and I come to Nehemiah chapter number 12 and verse number 43, that's the mindset of people outside of Jerusalem what had taken place on this day and on this uh, time. And when you come to Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12, you find the dedication of the wall and the dedication of the people taking place. And it was a celebration so loud that it echoed through the valleys. As you come to chapter number 11, the wall has been built, the people, they're experiencing revival. And now, uh, now they're deciding to put people into the city. And let me just give you a few thoughts. Nehemiah 11, verse number 1 It says, and the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem and the rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of 10 to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. Up until this point, up until Nehemiah chapter 11, most people were not living, most of those from Jerusalem, they were not living actually in Jerusalem. They were living on the outskirts and while they were staying there, maybe in, in tents or in campsites to help build the wall, Most of them did not live there. But now that the wall is built, now there's a a compelling going out. Hey, who's going to come and live in Jerusalem? And before they could really even volunteer, Nehemiah has this idea. Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cast lots. We're going to draw names. Everybody's name is going to go into a hat. And we're going to draw 10%. 10% of everybody living in the area, 10% of you are going to move to Jerusalem. Well, why would they need people to move to Jerusalem? Well, now it's the capital city. It's the place that if anybody's going to attack, they're going to attack the capital city. It's the place where now there's a lot of, uh, of uh, dealings that need to go, and there's a lot of uh, dealings regarding the nation that need to take place and transpire there within the community. And We need people. We need leaders to come and to move to Jerusalem, and so there are people moving to Jerusalem. As you come to Nehemiah chapter 11, the the really all of Nehemiah 11 is a list. You can go and read it on your own time. It's a list of all the people that began to repopulate Jerusalem. This is just a matter of a few days that all of these things are, are taking place and they're repopulating Jerusalem. When you come to Nehemiah chapter number 12, it deals with the fact that they're celebrating that people are coming to repopulate Jerusalem. Man, this gives us reason to uh, to shout. This gives us reasons to celebrate and the first half of the chapter is about priests from Zerubbabel's day, the days that have been faithful. But then you come to Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse number 27. And Nehemiah 12, 27 through 47, it outlines for us this celebration that took place in their life. It was a celebration celebrating the moving of people to Jerusalem, celebrating the completion of the wall, celebrating the devotion of their heart to the Lord, it was something that was really a big to-do. It was a big deal. It was so big, in fact, that people of Jerusalem, they were so overjoyed that it was literally affecting all of the lives of those around them. This morning, for the next few minutes, I want us to look at this passage, and I want us to be challenged and encouraged with this thought. I want us to be challenged and encouraged to live a life that is so full of joy that it affects the lives of those around us. I want us to notice first of all today this, that your life, it will overflow with joy and other people, they will want what you have when first of all, when you are known for saying yes to God. Your life will be filled with the joy of God and people will look from the outside in and want what you have when you are known for saying yes to God. Notice, if you will, the verse I read just a moment ago, Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. It says the rulers of the people, they dwelt at Jerusalem. So you have, you have some leaders dwelling there, but the rest of the people, they cast lots to bring one out of 10 to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, in nine parts to dwell in the other cities. But verse number two, it says this, and the people, they blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So we have the city wall that has been built. The city is protected. Now, now we need to truly defend our city. We need more people living here. That was the, the thinking of Nehemiah and the leaders. And so the plan is, let's cast lots bring one in 10 to live here. But even though they were casting lots and bringing one in 10 to live there, those 10 that were chosen, or excuse me, the one out of 10 that would be chosen, the 10% that were chosen, they would still have to have a willing spirit to go. The reason they would cast lots is because it would, it would prevent strife. It would help them know that uh, this is something that God had done, God had ordained, that your family would be the one to move there. But verse number two, it says that the people, they blessed those that were willing, that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Those who were chosen to live in Jerusalem, they could either go because they had to or they could go because they were willing to. And we read here that the people, they blessed those. They were overjoyed by those who willingly went. And the rest of Nehemiah 11, it lists out out all the people that willingly went. They They were on God's list as those who said no to their own plans and said yes to what God wanted. I just want to say this morning that part of the reason they experienced joy at the end of chapter number 12 is because just a few days later, they were willing to say yes to God. And I want you and I to know that joy, it comes when we say yes to the Lord. Joy in life, real joy. And I'm not talking about this morning. When we talk about uh, joy, we're, we're not talking just about an outward happiness although I believe that joy will affect us outwardly, we're talking about an inward stability that says, I trust God through any circumstances. An inward stability that says, not only do I trust God through all my, through any circumstances, but I know that God is completely in control and in that I can find joy. In the fact that God is in control, I can find joy. And there's a joy that comes in your life and my life when we say yes to the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the guy who is noted for saying yes to God. I don't want to be the one who continually says, no, God, I've got this. I want to be the one that says, I'll say yes, Lord, yes. The old youth song, I'll say yes, Lord, yes to your will and to your way. Man, I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and I will obey when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree and my answer will always be yes, Lord, yes. Unfortunately, there's too many Christians today that they're that 13-year-old Christian. What do you mean by that, pastor? Well, they're the 13-year-old Christian that says, okay, yeah, but, okay, Lord, but, okay, God, I know you said this, but there's too many Christians that do that. We don't have that testimony of saying, yes, Lord. You know what? Joy is going to come in your life as you and I follow God with a yes, Lord attitude. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 16 and 17. When Jesus said this, verily, verily, or of a truth, of a truth, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that uh, is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Happy are ye if ye do them. Hey, real joy comes as we say yes to the Lord. Your life will overflow with joy. Other people, it's going to echo into their lives. They're going to want What you have, number one, when you're known for saying yes to God, but number two, they're going to want what you have when you are willing to bring others with you, when you're willing to bring others with you. Now, (coughs) excuse me, Nehemiah 11 and 12, I really, we we can't go through and read all of it, uh, number one, because I will butcher all of the names in there. Number two, it really would take us probably about, about 10 minutes just to read through everything to understand it. But I, I want to encourage you, go home today, read Nehemiah 11 and 12. But I just want to give you a little glimpse of what's taking place. As the people are beginning to move back, that 10% of the outlying communities are moving back to Jerusalem. Uh, Nehemiah says, hey, listen, we're going we're to have a big celebration. We're going to dedicate the wall. We're going to dedicate the people. We're going to celebrate what God has done. We're just going to really have a, a, a big time celebrating our God. And what he does is Nehemiah goes to the Levites. Now, every little village, every city, every little village would have a Levite that would be living there. You had the priests, they were those that dealt with the, uh, the temple work and all of that. And then you had the Levites. The Levites were the servants of the priests. They were, uh, they were kind of like the assistant pastors, if you will. And you had a Levite in every little town, every little nook and cranny, every little village. There would be a Levite that would be positioned in that town to help lead that town spiritually. Not every town would have a, a priest, but every town would have a Levite. They would try to position it so that a Levite was everywhere. Well, here's what Nehemiah did. He gathered all the Levites and he said, hey, I'm gonna send you guys. You need to go out and you need to compel every single person, every Hebrew, every child of God. You need to compel them to come to the celebration. Notice that if you will, Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse number 27 This dedication is about to happen. The people are moving in, and Nehemiah says this. It says that the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them, the people, to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, and with harps. The Levites, they were those that were there to teach, encourage, to spiritually lead, and spiritually lead, and now Nehemiah says to them, hey, all of you Levites, get word out, get the word out, and invite people in to this celebration. No one should be left out. Bring all the people, everyone's invited don't come without those from your town. Don't don't come alone. There's a few thoughts that we can glean from this this morning, but I simply want to say that the Christian life, it is filled with more joy as you bring people along with you. The Levites were instructed, hey, go out and bring them in. Hey, go out and bring people in. I think there's two thoughts we can apply to this, and if you've been in church for any length of time, these will be two very familiar things. You know what the Christian life is supposed to be? It's supposed to be something that we continually invite others to be involved in. Number one, inviting people to come to know Christ. Man, inviting people, hey, I wanna share Jesus with you. Inviting coworkers and friends and neighbors and loved ones uh, going out and compelling people to come in. In the New Testament, compelling them from the, uh, the highways and the hedges, compelling them from everywhere to come and to experience God. So I believe there is that application we could take away. But really this morning, the one I really want to look at for just a moment is the idea that the Christian life should not be something. It, is, it should not be something that, uh, where we live like an, in an island unto ourselves. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. The Christian life is not meant to be something that I alone experience and others on the outside don't get to experience with me. No, the idea I want to look at for just the next few minutes is the thought of bringing somebody along in Christian growth with you. You see, the Levites, they were supposed to go out and they were to invite other people to come to the celebration, worshiping God and thanking God and praising God. Other people of God, they were supposed to go and be an encouragement in their life. Hey, did you hear that there's a celebration and Jerusalem's getting filled? The, the wall is done. Hey, listen, Nehemiah's leading us in a great celebration, praising God. Why don't you come with me? Man, there's that spirit of expectancy. There's that spirit of excitement. There's that spirit of enthusiasm and the spirit of encouragement saying, hey, why don't you join with me as I worship God? I think you and I could take this and we could say, this week, this week should be an opportunity in my life that I don't just experience my own Christian growth, but I encourage others around me to grow. I encourage them by talking about the goodness of the Lord, encourage them by uh, speaking about my time in the word, encourage them by uh, uplifting the name of God in my life and how he has worked. And I just want us to understand that the Christian life, there's more joy in the Christian life when you bring people along with you. I think about watching that Broncos game. Dan and I, we went to that game and I'll tell you, we we had a great time, had a great time. You know what I love, though? I love watching a game with other people. I don't know about you. Maybe you're a sports person. You ever watch the game by yourself? It's fun. It's okay. But, man, you watch a game with another fan, you're high-fiving all the way through. My mom, she has 10% knowledge about football. And that 10% is usually what we re-explain to her. But years ago, years ago, my grandfather, her stepdad... He, uh, he was a huge Indianapolis Colts fan. And just because he was a Colts fan, she would watch Colts games. Still to this day, she has no, I could ask her right now, mom, who's the quarterback of the Colts? And she'd be like, is Peyton still playing? <laughs> she, she, and that's fine. That's totally fine. But you know what? You know what's fun? Watch a Colts game with my mom. She doesn't know anything about football, but she will, it will be, you will, you will think she does. Because she'll, something, if something will happen and the people will cheer, she won't even know who's cheering. And she'll go, oh, 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 oh. And then we just look at her and she'll be like, what happened? And there'll be times that something will happen. She'll go, yeah, go, 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 go. Did we score? Man, you know what? I want to live around Christians like that. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? I want to live around Christians that just get excited about anything going on for the Lord. You know what a lot of Christians do? A lot of Christians, we live in our stuck-up world. We live in the stuck-up world that says, if it didn't happen for me, then I'm not happy. Man, we should live in a Christian world that says, man, I rejoice for the victory that you're singing. Man, I rejoice for the joy that you have in your life. Man, I rejoice for what God is doing. Hey, hey, why don't you rejoice with me? And we we need to live a Christian life that says, I want you and me to be involved in this together. Man, the Levites, they could have said, well, you know, we're, we're gonna go to the celebration. We're not gonna bring others with us because after all, after all, I mean, we are the chosen servants of God. So this is gonna be something that, it's gonna be just for us and us alone. They could have done that, but Nehemiah said, hey, no, no, listen, go out and bring others with you. I looked this morning and I realized that you and I, we have something great. We have something great to share with others, to bring them along with us. And your life, it'll overflow with joy when other people They'll, they'll want what you have when you bring them along with you. I see thirdly this morning that our life will overflow with joy and other people will want what we have when we are fully devoted to the Lord. And your life is going to be filled with the joy of God and other people are going to want what you have when you are fully devoted to the Lord. The focus of Nehemiah 11 and 12 the focus of it centers around the dedication of the wall of the people and of the recent work that was done for God. It is all, Nehemiah 11 and 12 is a result of the revival that we read about in Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10. But the entire dedication, the entire two chapters, it's the people saying, God, we are completely and fully devoted to you. We are completely and fully devoted to you. God, the wall is yours. The city is yours. The people are yours. God, it's all yours. And they, listen, they go all out to do this. How do they go all out in doing it? Well, verse 29, and, or 28 and 29, it tells us, and I'm not going to read them all right now. It tells us that they go out, they get all the professional singers Over 230 people that come in just for the purpose of leading in worship. And you talk about a choir. You talk about an ensemble. You talk about a group. This this people, they're going to come up, and they're going to just 230 of them. And you know what their job was? Their job. This is super cool. Their job was not to stand in one place as one group and sing. Their job was wherever you go, lead people in praises of God. Hey, as, you, as you're coming into the city, lead people in singing. As you're walking around the city, lead people in singing. As you're, in the, as you're near the temple, lead people in singing. Man, this is an all-out celebration saying, God, we want, no matter where we go, we want to sing your praises. We want to lift you up. Man, they got the professional singers involved. In verse number 30, the priests and the Levites, they purify themselves and the people and the gates and the walls. They purify the word the word purify, it means to be unmixed. It means to be without uh, competition. And while this purifying of the priest doing this would simply be the sprinkling of a water, it was an outward act showing, God, we are completely set apart for you. It was saying, God, we want to be pure before you. We want to uh, uh, have an unmixed heart before you. We want to have an uncontaminated life following you. So they had this purity that they did during this time. They they worshiped God in song during this dedication. They purified themselves. They set themselves apart during this dedication. Verse 31, it tells us that they praised God. Man, they openly and outwardly praised God. Look at verse 31. Nehemiah says, Then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall, and I appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks whereof one went on the right hand upon the wall toward the dung gate. And if you read verse 32, all the way down through verse number 40, uh, it says the other just went up the other side of the wall. Here's what happened. This is crazy. You remember those city walls, how I told you how wide they were. They could be uh, 20 to 30 feet wide. So people could literally stand up there and walk. Uh, Chariots could ride up there. They got people. And Nehemiah broke uh, two huge groups of priests and Levites and singers up into two two parties. He said, all right, you guys, you're going that way. Go up the wall all the way toward the furthest gate. Hey, you guys, go up this way. Go up the wall and always go toward the furthest gate. And what happens as you read verse 32 through verse number 40 is as they left that centralized area where they were, they began to go and they began to envelop that city from the walls just singing the praises of God. And all the people were down on the ground walking, all of them towards the temple, just singing and worshiping and praising God. And their praise, it was a a directed praise, verse number 40, directed completely to God. It was an organized praise. It wasn't just chaos. It was organized by Nehemiah and it was a unified praise. The people were united in it. They were all in. You say, Pastor, what do all of those points, what is all of this with the dedication, what what can we learn from it? All of this shows us how sold out for the Lord those people really were. They were saying, God, we're going to worship you in song. God, we're going to praise you in an organized way. And God, we are all in. I'll say this morning that joy... Joy comes in the Christian life, not only as we say yes to the Lord, but as we completely sell out for the Lord. You know, they were saying, they were saying, God, we spare no expense. God, we want everyone to see you. God, we want not only our words, we want our actions, we want everything in our life to point to you. In the Christian life, real joy and this contagious joy that would help others want what we have, it comes as we recognize that he holds the keys to real joy and he holds the keys to real life and nothing outside of Jesus Christ is going to fulfill the void in my life that he was made to fill. I mention the passage often, but in John chapter six, in John chapter six, Jesus has recently just spoken to many of his disciples, not just the 12 apostles, but to many of the other followers. And he had just preached a message basically saying, I am the only way to heaven. He actually said to them, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot go to heaven. And and he was not talking, talking literal. He was talking, you have to partake exactly of what I'm teaching. You have to believe in me and me alone. The Bible says this, that when he got done with that message, John 6, verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples, they went back and they walked no more with him. Hey, you have to believe completely in me. And many of the disciples, people who claimed him, they turned away and they left. At that moment, Jesus turns to to the apostles, to the 12, and he says a question to them. Will will you also go away? Are you going to leave too? And notice what Peter says. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. You know what John was saying, or what Peter was saying? Peter was saying, we get it. God, to whom shall we go? Where where else are we going to find truth? Where else are we going to find joy? Where else are we going to find fulfillment? Hey, you are the Messiah. You know what Peter was saying? He was saying, God, we get it. We get it that we are fully devoted to you. And in your Christian life and my Christian life, full joy comes after full devotion." And full devotion needs to be an everyday choice. Isn't it interesting how you and I, we could walk with the joy of the Lord one day and not the next. Man, we can be a Christian that's sold out for him one day and not the next. What's the reminder? It's the reminder that it's an everyday decision. Every day saying, God, I'm fully devoted to you. I see this morning that your life, it'll overflow with joy. Other people, they'll want what you have. When when you're fully devoted to the Lord, but notice also when you stop to reflect on the blessings of God. His joy is going to be in your life and other people are going to want what you have. You're gonna have something that will echo afar off when you stop to reflect on the blessings of God. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse number 43. We started here, it says, that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, but notice the next phrase. It says, for God had made them rejoice, with great joy. The wives also and the children, they rejoiced. That phrase, for God made them to rejoice with great joy, this is not a phrase God made them in the sense that God forced them. It means that they were looking back at God's faithfulness to them, and they could not help but rejoice. Man, God had given them plenty of reasons to rejoice. A couple of weeks ago, we saw the people of God Rehearsing the faithfulness of God to their people, and they summarized it by saying this in Nehemiah 9:17, "But thou art a God ready to pardon. you're gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and you forsookest them not, our, our forefathers, you didn't forsake them. Listen, every time, every time the people of Israel, you go read Nehemiah, every time the people of Israel stopped to reflect upon the blessings of God, it resulted in them rejoicing in God. And you go into the word of God, go to the Psalms. Go to the Psalms. When the psalmist would stop to reflect upon how good God had been to them, they always left that encounter with joy. You see, your life and my life, it'll become a life of joy when we get our focus back on him and get our focus off of the little things and get our focus back completely on him. I encourage you to begin to reflect on his faithfulness. Remember his care for your life. Think about the times that he's shown up, the strength that he gave through that one trial, the answered prayer with that financial struggle last year, the, the victory over sin that God gave you. Think about the friendships that God has brought to invest in your life. And if, if above anything else, you can't think of all those things, man, just think about the salvation that he gave you. Think about the forgiveness that he gives you. Think about the fact that Jesus said, whosoever will may come. Man, what a great truth today. I was talking with a friend this week, (coughs) excuse me, talking with a friend this week about how so many people out there, they're they're trying to earn God's forgiveness. And yet Bible-believing Christianity simply says, Jesus said, hey, if you'll just turn to me, I'll forgive you. If you'll confess in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'll forgive you. And Romans nine, Romans 8 and 9, I will come in and I will dwell with you. And Hebrews, you'll be, my, uh, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And what a great truth this morning. Plenty of reason, plenty of reason to celebrate the blessings of God. And you know what? When we reflect upon the blessings of God, it's going to lead us to have a joy from God. I noticed this morning that your life, it'll overflow with joy. And other people, they'll want what you have when you're, you're known for saying yes to God. When you're willing to, to bring others along with you. When you're fully devoted to the Lord. When you stop to reflect on the blessings of God. But lastly this morning, your life will overflow with joy. And other people, they'll want what you want. When you give like God gave. If you were to go to the passage, Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 44 all the way through verse number forty-seven, notice what it says. And at that time, there were some appointed over the chambers for the treasures, for the offerings, for the first fruits, for the tithes to gather into them out uh, to gather into them out of the fields of the city the portions of the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced for the priests and for the Levites that waited, and both the singers. And the porters, the doorkeepers, we saw them in chapter 7, they, they kept the word of their God, their service toward God, and, and the word of the purification according to the commandments of David and of Solomon his son. For in the days of David of, and Asaph of old, there were chief of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving unto God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the portions of the singers and the porters every day his portion, and they sanctified holy things unto the Levites, and the Levites sanctified them unto the children of Aaron. You say, Pastor, what is going on? Without getting into all of the ins and outs of these verses, basically, what you see is the people selflessly giving to serve however they can. The priests and the Levites, they begin to oversee the temple and the projects like they were supposed to. The singers and the doorkeepers, they begin to step up and to give of their time and their abilities to serve the Lord as they had been asked. The people give so sacrifices can be made. Purifying keeps happening. And joy was coming into their lives and others were wanting what they had because they were learning to give like God gave. You see, the people, they were selflessly giving to serve the Lord in whatever ways they could. And in your life and mine, a person that truly gets a glimpse of God is going to act like God. And God... He's a giver. Think about these verses with me this morning. John 3, 16, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, there is one mediator. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. Philippians chapter 2 talks about his humility in giving, that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and be, was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Man, he humbled himself and gave himself freely. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. The principle I'm simply pointing out is giving Giving brings joy, not just giving financially, not just giving giving of substance. No, in Nehemiah, they they were giving financially, yes, but they were giving of their time. They were giving of their abilities. They were saying, God, however we can be involved in pointing to you, we want to do it. They were giving like God gave. How did God give? Well, he gave sacrificially. He gave selflessly. And our giving, it doesn't start just with a bunch of stuff. We give, we learned this last week, we give by first off just giving ourselves. Giving our time to to serve others, it brings joy. Giving our resources to bless others, that brings joy. Giving your money to invest in others and in his work, it it brings joy. Giving your words to speak encouragement to people, uh, it gives joy. They were overflowing with joy and their testimony was so powerful that others were wondering what was going on because they were giving like God gave. They were saying, God, we are all in. What an incredible testimony these people have had here in Nehemiah 11 and 12. They were so filled with God. They were so filled with his joy and with his purpose that their celebration rang out through the hillside. Over in Israel, there in Jerusalem, of course now everything is is, uh, city-fied, you know, most of Jerusalem and all of that. But as you go to the outline parts of, of Jerusalem, and you go to the outline parts of the major cities, you come to hillsides. And those hillsides, they really do echo. Things just echo. Unfortunately, now, you know what we heard most of the time in Israel, you hear the echo of the mosques through the hillsides. But I wonder what it sounded like for the echoes of the celebration to just ring through the hillside. We don't have to to wonder what the day was like. We read it. It was such a big day that people from all over, they heard. People from afar off, they had that mindset, I want to be a part of that. I wonder this morning, what would happen? What would happen in, in your sphere of influence? What would happen in my sphere of influence if you and I lived a life filled with God like this, filled with the joy of God? a life so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that others from the outside looking in would wonder, man, what do they have that I don't? What could happen this week if you lived a life that was filled with him and that drew others to want him? You see, when we are truly loving God, that love of God is going to define us to everyone around us. Paul wrote it this way in the book of Corinthians If any man love God, the same is known of him. Hey, when you're all in, people are going to know it. The joy of the Lord is going to be contagious. It's going to be something that can echo into the lives of those around you. So this morning I ask you, is your Christian life contagious? Does your joy for the Lord overflow to those around you? Do they see your heart for God? and want what you have. You say, Pastor, no, they they don't. Then maybe today you need to say, God, help me to reflect on your blessings because that's going to bring some joy. God, help me to encourage others in the Christian life because that's going to bring joy. God, help me to give like you gave because that's going to bring joy. God, help me to be known for saying yes to you. Help me to be fully devoted because that's going to bring joy. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.